Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Good morning, church. Let's click or open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. If you want to open those and have those ready, those will be fantastic this morning. If you're visiting Christ Church today, we're really glad you're with us. As we like to say around here, A, we're glad you celebrate Jesus. And B, we're encouraged that you join us today. And so we hope we can encourage you in return. You're joining us in a series. We're taking the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's eyewitness account of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And we're sharing that, looking at the passages where Matthew talks about Jesus as king or about his kingdom. We didn't cover every verse, but we're looking at those specific passages where the kingdom is described through the king or through what Jesus is doing. I want you to think, when you think about these big things in life, do you remember how unprepared you were for some of the biggest decisions you ever made? When you made them, you had all the information, right? I think back on my life, and if I can be that self-centered for just a moment, I think about the college I chose to go to. I have no regrets, but I had no idea when I signed up to go to college what it would take. Financially, the work, I, I went through high school easily because I was one of those kids who didn't cause problems, teachers just let me roll. Then I got to college and I found out you don't roll in college, <laughs> they roll you. And uh, I had to learn how to study and I came home with a, a, a weak grade point to have my father say, I'm not paying for this and that changed everything. And, and uh, I went to college with great anticipation. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know what would happen, right? When I asked Heather to marry me, uh, I knew I was taking a risk. And you're thinking, oh, he's being humbled. No, we were broken up at the time. And uh, so, yeah, so I, took my shot and uh, she desperately looked at me and said, okay, and then so we've been married 35 years. And I knew what I wanted to do, I just didn't know all it would take. Sometimes we don't know the implications of the choices we make. When I went into ministry, I felt like God was giving me opportunity, but little did I know what it would take, just like you and your job, right? You were excited to take the job because you were willing to do it, and then the implications of it all came together. Today, on Resurrection Sunday, we can think we understand it, but do we weigh the implications of what this day means? You see, when you think about it, the resurrection is the pillar of the church. 
I don't know if you've thought about this, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ separates Christianity from every other religion that's ever been and ever will be. Nobody's founder came from heaven, died, defeated death, rose again, and is coming back. None. They tell you how to live a better life. They'll tell you the blessings if you follow their religious codes, but none of them are premised on a savior who died and was raised again three days later. And so because of that, there are some implications to the resurrection that I wonder if we consider. Because the resurrection is the evidence that God gives us of the promise he made in Genesis chapter three, when he told Adam and Eve, I'm gonna do a work through this, and you're gonna crush the serpent's head, but he's gonna bite your heel. The resurrection is the evidence that God keeps his word. But I wonder in the midst of all of this, if we can selfishly ask and answer this question this Easter morning, what is the point of the resurrection for you and me? We may know its facts, but what are its implications? How will it stretch us beyond what we considered when we understood that Jesus is no longer dead? It was Friday. Sun was going down and because of the Sabbath, memorial that they celebrated every week. They could do no work after sundown. So at about three o'clock Friday afternoon, Jesus died. And they took his body down and they wrapped his body and they took it to a tomb that had been loaned to them because the tomb wasn't permanent when the body had decayed and the bones would then be collected and the bones would be buried in the ground. So they had prepared him to put him in the tomb for that period of time. And then they went back to their homes and quietly waited in their homes doing no work on the Sabbath. So when we think about all of this that's taking place, we realize in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 12, 16, 17, 20, and 27, Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, the religious leaders will take me and they will kill me and three days later I'll rise again. Five times, Matthew notes, Jesus told them what was about to happen. But we realize they're not ready. They're not aware. They, they heard what he was saying, but they didn't understand the implications. So what is the importance of the resurrection to people like you and me? Well, first of all, the importance of this moment is not about sentiment. I'm not making fun of the fact that there is a lot to be sentimental about. It's the reason many of us gather every year on this particular Sunday. We gather because we realize that Jesus did an amazing thing and Jesus is a good man. Matthew 28, one says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, Mark tells us in his accounts, because all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record moments, so I'm going to intersperse what the others said as well so we get the whole picture. Mark says it was very early on the first day of the week as the sun was rising. Luke says it was early dawn. And John says that they began their journey while it was still dark. Matthew focuses that there were two women, Mary and the other Mary. <laughs> I hope the other Mary wasn't offended. It also says in Mark 16 that Salome, the mother of James and John the disciples, was there. She was commonly there. Luke adds that there was a woman named Joanna. None of these four women would surprise us. They were in the presence of Jesus found in other parts of the gospel. Let me tell you about these women. They loved Jesus. How do I know? Because they served him. They cared for him. They wept with him. They were there with him through it all. They provided food and hospitality and even financial support. They were there at the cross. They saw his body wrapped up and buried in the tomb. They were loyal to him. There's really a lot of sentiment that you can find on Easter Sunday. Think about it with me. There's pride in how noble Jesus was in the face of death. 
their strength and empathy for his mother who watched him die on the cross until those final moments when Jesus sent her away with John the disciple so that she would not see that painful moment of death. Their sadness for Peter, who made this bold claim that he would stay with Jesus when no one else would to see him walk away in fear and then actually curse that he knew the name of Jesus. There's sadness there. There's gratitude for what Jesus offered us when we rejected him. There's so many things to be sentimental about. I'm not making fun of it, but I'm telling you that the sentiment around the cross and the empty tomb is not what we're called to go for. It's not where we're supposed to stay. It says they went to look at the grave. Mark 16 says that they took spices. You see, they would prepare the body. And because the rush of just a few hours before sundown on Friday, the, the women, of course, and think about it, ladies. I'm not, I hope this isn't too mean. I hope it's just honest. I know that my wife will always check my work, but I'm not allowed to check hers. Right? When she folds the clothes, I don't go in and inspect. When I fold the towels, I get a, ah, he tried. Right? So is it surprising that the women went to check the body in the tomb that the men had wrapped? No, it just makes sense. But when they went to the tomb, they did not go to witness the resurrection. They went to anoint a corpse. They missed it. They missed the power of the moment. This is a true act of compassion. There's nothing wrong with it. But we're not to just do acts of compassion. We're to walk in steps of faith. Five times he told them. They didn't pay attention. Mark 16 says they were discussing how they were gonna get the stone out of the way, which leads me to believe that they saw the stone rolled in front of the tomb, which meant they probably walked the body to the tomb that night and then returned home to their houses to honor the Sabbath. What they lacked in understanding, they made up for with courage. Can you imagine going to the tomb, knowing Roman soldiers were gonna be there? Roman soldiers did not answer for what they did to the, to the Jews and they did not answer what they did to Jewish women. How brave it was for these women to go to the tomb and realize Roman soldiers were there and they were the end all of the law. It's an act of love, isn't it? It's beautiful, but it's not what this moment was gonna be about because with all the sentimentality and all the kindness and compassion that these women were experiencing, God was about to blow their minds. And that's the second point I wanna make. When we think about the resurrection and the implications of it, the importance of this moment is not about its shock and awe. It's not about how stunning and surprising this is. If all we get from Easter is the fact that, huh, his tomb was empty, we have missed the point. There's implications that go well beyond his tomb being empty. Look at verse two. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. It's pretty cool. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Oh, there's so much here that I just want to pick. It's so much meat on these bones. I just want to give you piece after piece and go, try this, try this, try this. If you rush through this story, you might miss some of the best parts. You see, they were stopped in their tracks by the violence of an earthquake. This is the second earthquake in this town in, two, in three days. On Friday, when Jesus said it is finished, the earth shook, the stones cracked and tombs were emptied. Two days later, as these women approached to see the corpse of the man they loved, the earth shook 
It's coincided with the appearance of an angel. I don't believe the angel called the earthquake. I'll tell you why. Because this is not a new thing God does. I want you to notice when you read your Bible from now on, whenever you see an earthquake, it's when the glory of God descends on earth and makes his presence known. When the weight of God arrives in his creation, the creation can't handle it. So on the day that Jesus died, God shook the earth. And when the angel comes to make the great proclamation, to tell the first eyewitnesses that the tomb is empty, the earth shakes. If you were here last week, I told you something. I said that if you want to see God start something, look in a garden. That God always seems to start something in a garden. Church, I want to tell you, the tomb was in a garden. I love when God does what God does because he's teaching us something. When God demonstrates his power, the world shakes. When God appeared on Mount Sinai to give the law to Moses and the called out people, the earth shook so much that the people who were scared to touch the mountain, when the earth shook, backed up even further. They thought Moses was dead because the presence of God changes everything. When God went to talk to Elijah, who was in a cave, hiding out from his fear and his depression and his sadness and his fatigue, God appeared and spoke to him. But there was an earthquake when the presence of God arrived, yet God spoke in a still, small voice. You read the revelation of Jesus at the end of your Bible, you're gonna notice there's a reoccurring theme. When God moves, the earth shakes. So God's not doing a new thing. God's doing what he always does. The weight of his glory makes a difference. And it did that day. And so they look. They were talking about how are we gonna prepare the body, but who's gonna move the stone for us? We saw him put it in place. There's no way we can move it. And they get there and the stones move. An angel sitting on top, he's like, hello, ladies. And like, huh, but I want you to know something very important. The angels did not move the stone so Jesus could get out. He was already gone. The angels moved the stone so we could see in. The angels didn't free Jesus. Jesus freed himself. Well, how? The stone was there. Well, later he walks through a wall and goes into a room without using the door. I think God can do what God wants to do. Jesus just blew out of that tomb like, yeah, stone's fine. I got it. And he walked out. See, sometimes we look at the empty tomb and we think that's the thing we should worship. No, the empty tomb is empty. The one that should be worshiped stepped out. He stepped back into the world that he created. And all that was left behind were the things that held his dead body. Notice this. All that's left there is the wrappings and they describe it as if his body was still in it except his head wrapping was folded nicely at the end of the bed, which my mother used for years to say, if Jesus made his bed, you should too. (laughs) Nice, mom. Could use the Bible there. So they look in and they say, there's no turmoil, there's no struggle. The, The religious leader said, well, his disciples stole the body to make it look like, really? Do you think a Jew would touch a corpse? If the wrappings that held his body that had been covered in ointments Do you think they would have unwrapped that and carried his naked, broken, scarred up body? No, absolutely not. See, the earthquake produces fear. If you've ever been in one and you've experienced it, you know you're not in control, don't you? Whether it's a small tremor or a massive earthquake, you realize you are at the mercy of the earthquake and you just have to get through it. And there was fear around the earthquake and there's nothing wrong with that. Look at the soldiers, they were afraid. The Bible says they quaked. The same word that's used for an earthquake 
Matthew says that the Romans were quaking to the same way the earth did. Well, why would these Romans, think about them. These were warriors. These men were so trained at the, the graphic part of being a man in this world, dominating and killing and controlling and power and all that went with it, that Roman soldiers were se uh, seldom allowed to come into the city because they wouldn't behave themselves. And also, I want you to remember, on that Friday, they blindfolded him and punched him. They spit on him. They beat him without mercy. They tortured him above the law. They did all these things. When they found out that he walked out of the tomb, do you think they might have thought, uh-oh, Chuck Norris is back. <laughs> yeah, there's real fear in this moment. Not even lightly, they realize that there's going to be a day of accounting. And if he overcame death, because he was dead, if he's now alive, they can't stand in front of that man. Amen. My friend Elijah Daly says it well. They thought Jesus was dead. They thought they were going to escape judgment. They thought they won. They were wrong. And in that moment, they were paralyzed with fear. These tough Men trained to be killers realized they were messing with someone greater than them and they had no answer and they had no hope. Mary's afraid. How do we know Mary's afraid? Because the stone's rolled away and, and she looks in and sees that the body's not there, but Mary doesn't stay long enough. Her fear doesn't allow her to understand what's going on. The implications become too big. And John tells us in John 20, Mary runs away and finds Peter and John and says to him, they've taken away our Lord's body and I don't know where they laid him. She misses the moment with the angel because she can't understand that what's happened is good and great and powerful. She thinks, oh no, why won't they just leave my dead savior alone? Why are they torturing us by taking his body? She just wants to find out where the corpse is. And she misses that the corpse is walking around just fine, thank you. You see, the other women were afraid too. But they stayed and heard the angel's testimony. Because in that moment of panic, have you ever been awakened in the middle of the night by a loud noise, maybe a, a clap of thunder or lightning that lights up your room and you don't know where you are and you don't know what time it is and your spouse or your, your roommate looks at you and says, what's the matter? And you're like, no, no, nothing. But you couldn't tell them who you were and where you lived. Startled in this moment, have you ever been so startled by something that caught you off guard that your senses don't collect? I'm not making fun of the fear involved with the earthquake. What I'm telling you is, if we will stand strong in our fear, God will reveal to us. When we run in our fear, the revelation may be lost. These women stayed. In fact, the angel answers the question that he knows is on their heart. Verse five, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. I love this. The angel says, step in. See for yourselves. You don't have to disbelieve the angel. There's evidence of it. And he said, go, look, he's not there. Now, Luke and Mark also tell us that when they got in the tomb, the angel told them a second time the same thing. Why would he say it a second time the same thing? Have you ever been so scared you couldn't hear? Have you ever had someone explain something to you and you're like, what, what, wait, what? And all of a sudden they explain it again. You're like, oh, okay. The angel's merciful. The angel understands that this is not common. They should not have expected this except Jesus told them, but they couldn't understand it. Remember, they entered into it thinking they knew what they were getting into. Little did they have an idea that he would be taken and tortured and murdered and then laid up for three days. So in that moment, the angel explains it to him. 
because understanding doesn't always come easily to startled minds. I want you to look with me at Luke 24. It'll appear on the screens. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, ooh, men, notice that. There's now two. There's one on the rock, now there's two inside. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Verse 8, then they remembered his word. Sometimes God will speak to us many, many times until we can understand. But I also want you to know something beautiful here. I found this recently, and it's made my tail wag ever since. In Luke chapter 24, something powerful happens. When they walk in the tomb, not only is the angel on the rock join them in the tomb, but it says another angel joined them, and they retold the story. I want you to picture this. There would have been a stone slab that they would have wrapped the body and laid it there until it decayed to such a point that they could go in and remove the bones. When these women walk into that tomb, there's an angel at the head and there's an angel at the feet. Now, I want you to picture in your Old Testament that there was a mercy seat found inside the tabernacle and the temple. At the mercy seat is on the Day of Atonement, the blood, the sacrificial blood would have been sprinkled on the mercy seat between two gold angels whose wings uh, covered over the table. And that was the moment where the blood of the sacrifice was applied for the forgiveness of sins. Now I want you to walk into the tomb and I want you to see the mercy seat enacted live. Two angels on both sides of the tablet where the sacrificial blood was laid so that all people's sins could be atoned for. Don't you love when God does what God does? God has painted pictures for us to see over and over again. You see, the Resurrection Sunday is not about being sentimental. And it's not about being caught up in the awe and and wonder of an empty tomb. The importance of this moment is to bring a transforming joy. There's something deeper than what you thought you were getting into when you understand what the resurrection is. Verse seven, the angel says, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Afraid, but filled with joy. You see, what the resurrection is to do for us is to turn our fascination into proclamation. You can't stop yourself from proclaiming what you think is good and right. Find a good restaurant, tough to keep your mouth shut, isn't it? Unless it's on a Friday night and then you don't want all of us there. Then you'll tell us on Saturday. You find a good book, you tell someone. You find something good on Netflix, a show that you think a friend of yours would love, what do you do? You find yourself telling them. You, you won't tell them a lot. You won't tell them their zipper's down or they got food in their teeth, but you'll tell them about Netflix. We are compelled to tell our friends what we're passionate about, and I want you to know this. When we understand the resurrection, our fascination has to become proclamation. It must. If you were here last week, we learned something. That in the garden, in the very first garden in Genesis, a man said to God, God, not what you want, but what I want, and the world was broken into chaos. In this garden, a man said, not what I want, God, but what you want, and the world began to heal. I also want you to notice that the curse of death was revealed to a woman in a garden in Genesis 3, 
And the promise of the resurrected Lord and his healing is promised to a woman in a garden in Matthew chapter 28. Don't you love when God knits it all together perfectly and it's not by accident? The women hurried away with fear because they understood what this meant, that the one they came to say goodbye to, they now can anticipate one more time saying hello to. Verse nine, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I don't wanna make too much of this, but I also don't wanna make too little of it. Do you notice that when they obey the angels, they see Jesus? As we like to say around here, have you ever noticed that your faith is often found on the other side of your obedience? That faith becomes sight when we do what our Lord asks us to do and we become who our Lord calls us to become? What is the importance of the resurrection for you and me? I want you to see this statement with me this morning. The resurrection reveals more than that we can live forever. It reveals who we can live forever with. You see, please understand this. The saved and the unsaved alike will live forever. Some will live with Jesus and others will live without him. Some will live with their king in his new kingdom and some will live without their king in a kingdom they already have experienced. The Bible calls it hell. It's not a threat. This is the implications of the resurrection. Remember, when you had children and you got married and you chose college or your profession, you had an idea what you were getting into, but when you got into it, you realized it is calling more out of me than I ever imagined. Please understand, the resurrection is not just good news because Jesus is no longer dead. It is real news because it changes our future. It's not just that you live forever. That's already been proven. It's who you're gonna live it with. You see, the women were excited that they'd get to see Jesus again. So they obeyed and they hurried off. They went to see a corpse. Then they left to go see a king. You see, the beauty of this moment, it went from fearing what life would be like without him to realizing they would never have to live without him again. Our fear You see, let me put it this way. If you don't fear the power of the resurrection, it's because you really don't believe it. To ponder what took place that day would allow you to understand it needs to be honored. And if you don't have joy from the resurrection, it's because you've settled for a life without Jesus. You don't know him, so you don't miss him. You're trying to live your life by your own power and your own strength. And and I guess there's actually nothing wrong with that except it never pays off. You see, our fear comes from an awareness that the weight of God's glory is overwhelming, but God uses the weight of his glory to redeem us, to wash away our sins and to perfect us. Our joy comes from knowing that we have someone who no matter our circumstances is greater and stronger than, one who we can trust when we are weak and broken and overwhelmed. That's why the apostle Paul would tell the early church these words. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The resurrected king has sat down in his rightful place of authority. Never forget that. The resurrection is not one moment in time. The resurrection resounds today because Jesus sits on the throne. He'll never move. He should never have to. 
Set your mind on the things above, on, not on the things that are of the earth. The church has repeated this stanza from almost its very beginning. A reminder, at times when most people in Christianity couldn't read, they would express the scriptures and they would give them statements and creeds that they might remember to know what the scriptures teach. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus will come back one day. It is the crux of which all of us choose to reject or accept and live differently on either side of that. Jesus came as a gift from God to bring salvation to all the world. Jesus died to be the great lamb whose perfect blood cleanses every single one of us who allows themselves to be covered in it. Jesus rose from the grave to defeat the last great enemy that faced mankind, sin and death. And Jesus is coming back one day and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some will be fearful because they do not know him and they know they now stand in the presence of his perfection. And many of us will kneel in admiration for the resurrection we're about to receive that we have not deserved, but our King has provided. See, this morning in the back of this room are two tables that have lamps lit, encouraging any of you here today who seeing the King and understanding his kingdom can step into that kingdom and say, I wanna be a part of this because I need him. You see, resurrection is not just proving to us that one day we'll live forever. It is celebrating who we get to live it with. If you wanna follow that king into his kingdom, we'd love to begin a conversation with you as we sing these next few songs. Feel free to join us at the table. We'd love to help you discover what it means to be complete in Jesus. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.